This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance best taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Jeff Siegel, Early Bird Rights, is here. One of my favorite people to talk about basketball with. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's morning out here. I'm uh, mm. out in California, still uh, still in the morning, still trying to see if the sun's going to come out today. But uh, yeah, it's uh, things are things are very good. No sun in Southern California right now. Not as far as I can see. I'm sure it'll come out later. The marine layer will, will wear off at some point in the in the next couple hours, and I'll uh, I'll get out there, go to the beach a little bit, hang out. You know, okay. Same old, same okay. old. You don't have to brag. Okay. You, well, you live at the beach, and you can go to the you, you can go to the sun. You can go see the the bay, go to the beach, all that kind of stuff. I I get it. Yeah. Well, you know, I just have to bring it up every once in a while just to make sure that uh, I get that out there because it's it's very important. Can you walk to the beach? Yeah, I live about three uh, blocks from uh, from the beach here in San Diego. Damn. How long have you been in San Diego? I moved back here after I went to Georgia Tech. Uh, so I, I grew up here and then oh, went so to Georgia Tech there. for college and then came back uh, in 2015. So I'm almost, I'll be five years back next month uh, after I graduated from from Georgia Tech. So 
you know, it's just, it's, it's a great place to live. I loved Atlanta, obviously. It's a, you know, very, very fun city, very interesting to live downtown and in Midtown uh, when I was there, but uh, it's hard to beat, hard to beat San Diego. I by Midtown. Yeah, I was there for four years, of course, doing uh, all my stuff at uh, Georgia Tech, and then I lived just off a of campus in Atlantic Station for a while. Ooh, can't do Atlantic Station. Not a big Atlantic Station guy. No? No, it's just the parking's terrible. Oh, okay. Just, sure. I, they're always working on stuff. I don't know. It just feels very touristy, trappy. I'm not a big Atlantic Station guy. Okay. Yeah, I lived right now. there, so I walked over there, so I never had to park when I was there because okay. I just walked. So that was a lot. That made it a lot easier because I lived in one of the apartment buildings right next to it. Uh, That's cool. And then you know, for me, it was a nice place to go and just sort of uh, just check out for a little bit and and people watch. And there's lots of interesting people to see and and just sort of watch them go about their lives over there. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, Midtown's fine if you can walk everywhere. Yeah. If you want to drive through Midtown, it will take you 25 minutes to go two minute two miles. Yeah, that's the worst. I once got caught in the, uh, like, I think this was back when Obama was in office and I got caught in his traffic when he was in town Ooh, trying yeah. to get from Georgia Tech to Atlantic Station, basically. And it took me probably two hours just to go, whatever that is, like 12 blocks. Uh, it yeah, was it was ridiculous. That's wild. Um, but that's Atlanta, folks. Yep. And something that I don't think is uh, much of a deal in uh, san diego be my we have traffic but at least but it's like atlanta it's yeah it's pretty normal we understand like okay in the morning and in the afternoon the one thing that is a little weird about san diego traffic is when you go when you're going in the morning you would think that from the suburbs into downtown would be the traffic because that's mm-hmm. when the people are coming from the suburbs to work downtown but it's actually the reverse for some reason mm-hmm. and i think that's because like downtown we've got downtown and then we've got like the tech sector which is you know a, you know a, a handful of miles north of downtown and some people live downtown but work in that tech sector and i think that's the that's where the traffic comes from and then in the afternoon it's the reverse going south from the suburbs toward downtown is major traffic but going north is fine in the afternoon so i think that's the i think that's the biggest reason it's, it's very weird though that's wild um yeah very very much the opposite of atlanta um but speaking of atlanta a team that's making headlines trey's out here uh getting rid of some medical debt shout out to trey young for doing that the hawks won the trade it turns out um based on trey young doing nice charity work uh, no they did not they still very much lost that trade um but the hawks are interested in uh audrey drummond and other people um lloyd pierce needs help uh trey young a couple weeks ago um had a just uh, he had enough of playing with young wings and young players and not having john collins and just doing it all himself and going for 40 and 10 was just like this is killing my soul um things are looking up kevin herter's playing a lot better he's healthy that's a important thing john collins um banged up a little bit but what do you make of the hawks interest when you saw that drummond was in like just the early reports from Woj that they were in talks for a player like Drummond. Um, what were your early thoughts? Was it surprising? Cause I just wasn't surprised and I was waiting to read about some player that Schlink was targeting. That's a veteran that could help them win some games this season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that they went after him or that they might have been after him at one point. I think the subsequent reporting made it clear that the, 
the idea that Atlanta and several other teams were interested in Drummond must have come from Detroit or from Drummond himself trying to get him trying to get himself out of there. So I think that's that's where the, those leaks came from. From from my point of view, I think that's pretty much pretty clear to me that uh, that either Detroit is trying to drum up interest in their guy, or Drummond is trying to get out and he's trying to sort of put it out there that like, oh, everybody's interested in me. Somebody should give me a max contract this summer. Uh, you know, something like that, where rather than it coming out specifically that, you know, obviously it was specific to Atlanta, but then subsequent reports were like, oh, yeah, Boston's interested and, and uh, a few other teams. And so I, I think that's where it uh, was clear that it was coming from Detroit or from Drummond in, in particular. So, I mean, certainly the fact that Atlanta is interested is interesting in its own right. They certainly have they've got so much cap space this summer. I've got them you know, north of 74 million, it could drop, you know, to, it could drop to 67, depending on what Jabari Parker does. If they want to keep, you know, DeAndre Bembry's cap hold on the books, stuff like that. But we're, we're, you know, they're, they're going to have, we're talking about a ton of cap space for them this summer. And there's not a whole lot of, you know, high end. Yeah. But there's not a whole lot of guys to fill those max slots. Like Andre Drummond as sort of mediocre as he is for a, a high end talent he's one of the better guys available this summer. You know, they're going to probably, because he has a player option, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I think we would assume that he's going to opt out. He would have to, he's going to do his homework. His agent will do his homework before the, uh, before free agency opens to try to see what his, his market's going to look like. And I think perhaps part of this leak may have, if it came from Drummond's people may be sort of part of that is sort of trying to, to see what the interest level is in, in, in his services. So, you know, we'll see $28 million, is a, is a rather large player option, but he can get up right. to about 35 if he opts out and gets a max contract. Do you think he would. Do you think the market's there for him to get 35? Well, I mean, you look at the teams who have cap space this summer, who are who have max space this summer, and that's Atlanta, Charlotte, uh, Memphis, New York, and um, actually Cleveland doesn't have it anymore after they made the Dr. Exum trade. So it's really just those four. It's been five for for many months. But now it's just four because uh, Cleveland made the the uh, the Exum acquisition. So of those four teams, we know the Knicks love big guys. They've always loved big guys. That's you know that's they're going they're going to be in on stars stars or star adjacent players like Drummond who have a big name, even if their production doesn't necessarily follow you know the the, the name that they have. They're you know the Knicks are the Knicks. They're going to be doing stuff like that. The other three teams are interesting. Because, you know, Atlanta, Memphis, and Charlotte, they're all in sort of the similar boats as they move into free agency. They've got a guard who they feel like they want to really build around. Trey Young, John Morant, and now Devontae Graham in, in Charlotte. Those are, the, those are their sort of core playmakers. Can, can one of those teams convince themselves Andre Drummond is the perfect pick-and-roll partner for our guy? Andre Drummond is the perfect rim protector commander of the defense for our guy that he's the perfect rebounder to sort of offset some of the issues that those teams have on the glass. Those are interesting questions that, that those teams answers. No, (laughs) I don't think the answer is yes either. I think that is a a no in multiple respects. I think the fact that Drummond can help on the glass, he is a phenomenal rebounder, a generational rebounder, like not even good, not even like pretty solid. Like he's the best rebounder in the league. And he's going to be that for for many years. And that's he, why I, mean, I was intrigued by him in Atlanta. Is that John Collins is such a great rebounder as well that like 
you just want to see what that does to a team where it just they overpower people on the boards. Of I mean, the amount of offensive rebounds those two would gobble up every game. Yeah, Collins is a great offensive rebounder. I think right. he's a, a not a negative, but he's probably an average defensive rebounder. You know, they're not phenomenal when he's when he's the lone big guy out there. Like he's not he's not that defensive pre- presence yeah. on the glass that Drummond is. Drummond is just a vacuum cleaner on the glass on both ends. Like he he'll just go and get anything. And he so he would really impact their their defensive rebounding, which has been ridiculously bad this year with with Alex Len and Damian Jones and Bruno Fernando at the center spot. Even when John Collins is playing center, like that doesn't work for them either. Nope. Like it's Drummond will help them on the glass. And so I think that's he that's that's his elite skill. And then he's kind of like average at everything else. But you he's, don't pay thirty five million for a really good rebounder. Right. That's where that comes in. And I don't know that that assessment of Drummond is the same assessment that everybody has. That's my assessment of him. I think that's sort of the general public's assessment of Drummond is that he's a high flying center who doesn't fly as high as he used to. He's sort of declining a little bit athletically, even at just 26, he's played, you know, a lot of minutes, a lot of years in the league already. He's not quite as athletic, you know, getting to the rim and in pick and roll as he used to be. They're posting him up a lot more. He's, certainly gotten a lot more skilled and he he deserves credit for his development in that area like he he can now face up and cross somebody over and get to the rim like that's not something that we saw Drummond doing three four years ago and now that's something that's in his bag he's a better better playmaker from the elbows you can run offense through him at the elbows like he's a better player but he's a different player than sort of people might think based on sort of the 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 reputation that he had as a high-flying athlete who would dunk all over everybody he in a way kind of mirrors blake griffin's development his his teammate in detroit for now those guys have sort of transferred from being these hyper athletic you know you know jump over the top of the backboard kind of guys into these more skilled more they they understand the game better they they read the game better but when you have a guy like trey young or john morant or Devonte graham or you know guys like this who you want to put the ball in their hands drummond's on-ball value becomes a little bit less. You need guys like John Collins and like, you know, Andre Drummond of old, Blake Griffin of old, to just be play finishers, not playmakers, because you have the playmaker in Trey Young in, in particular for the Hawks. You know, he's the he's the guy that sort of the whole world revolves around. And so you you don't necessarily need a ton of what Drummond brings to the table, particularly on a Hawks team with John Collins, who they want to sort of mold into being that kind of guy with a guy like Kevin Herter who they want to put the ball in his hands he's done really well over the recent handful of games as sort of the secondary playmaker next to Trey Young he's even playing some backup point guard doing pretty well doing that as well so I think do they need what Drummond brings to the table I don't think so but if they think so that's where this some of this interest comes from yeah I um I would be nervous about giving. I don't know what his trade value actually is. Like, what kind of assets the Hawks would actually have to give up? To it I mean, they have seems one year contracts. That it seems just, like they would just give up uh, Chandler Parsons just for ch- salary matching purposes and the the Brooklyn pick this year, which is probably going to be somewhere in, in the range Cam of Cam Reddish. Any deal for any player requires Cam Reddish to no longer be on this team. That is my um, Chase Thomas Institute um, for any deals this season. I mean, if Detroit was more interested in Cam Reddish than like the number 17 pick this year, then maybe that would be something interesting for Atlanta to consider. I don't think it's very rare that you see a team give up on a top 10 pick. 
But no. it's you know certainly possible if Detroit put their foot down and was like, we don't want the Brooklyn pick, we want Cam Reddish. I would certainly consider that pretty heavily. You're not a Cam Reddish guy, right? Not particularly, but I think he's better than some people think he is because he brings he's already like a positive defender, which is mm-hmm. really rare for a guy who is you know is is a rookie who is coming into a a difficult situation in Atlanta defensively. I think he's shown that he can be a positive defender in multiple aspects. He can be an on-ball guy defending point guards, getting through screens, using his length to contest from behind, stuff like that. He's a, a good team defender already. He's active in passing lanes. He's able to to use that length again to rotate and, and bother bother you know ball handlers in a in a sort of Robert Covington-esque way. But he's a better on-ball defender, I think, than Covington was at this point in his career. So I think that he's an he's a really interesting long-term defender and if he can shoot then you've got something and that's it like that he needs to be able to shoot and you know whether that happens or not we'll see but i think it's it's certainly possible i wouldn't be like just giving up on him giving up on him but if that if he could be the key piece in a drum and trade over a a future draft pick i might consider that a little bit more yeah i am I don't know. Something that Hawks fans have to consider, especially with another high lottery pick coming next year, you already have Herter, you have Trey, you have Collins, you have DeAndre Hunter. You have a lot of young guys, and that's like going into their cap sheet next year. It's seven guys right now, um, and they're all young. All your young guys. There are no veterans. There's nothing on this roster that will expedite this rebuild. Like You're probably going to be in the lottery again next year, um, unless you really just nail this summer free agency and you go and make a, a nice swing for um some sort of veteran that uh is not young on the perimeter that can defend and help these guys and help um trey and dj and all those guys but i i don't know i think one of the biggest things that i'm concerned about is you can't pay everyone in a couple years like you can't pay trey uh the max and then if you want to keep like you you cannot have this many young building blocks right like it's not it doesn't work like that. It's not that linear basketball. There's no team that just drafted six guys in the lottery and all six are now part of their plans. They're all um, guys that developed smoothly. They're all part of their core. You have the perfect six man camera, but like you can't expect all five of those guys to play in crunch time for you either. So like eventually they're going to have to make difficult decisions in who is part of their core and who is not. And I I would just get I'm always about getting ahead of things where it's like okay who makes sense long term and I think Trey Herder um, DeAndre Hunter and not even Collins makes the most sense to me is that fair like I think anybody else I'm still just like uh, wait and see yeah I mean but I think that they've got the time to wait and see and try to figure out which of these guys fits and by putting good players around them it'll be more clear which guys fit long term versus now where it's like we're just throwing all the young guys out there and hoping that one of them pops but you know without putting i i guess it it works for for atlanta offensively because they already have trey young they understand that like they have a a such a good primary playmaker that however the guy fits next to trey young now is how he's going to fit next to trey young long term because trey's already you know an an all-star level player and maybe even an all nba level player so it's it's I think they can they can accurately assess how how these guys are going to play offensively, defensively. It's still a mess. It's going to be a mess. Like it just sort of is what it is on on that end of the floor. It's it's really difficult to see whether Hunter Reddish Collins. You, we can see flashes of these guys 
making making steps this year, but it's it's difficult to see in the big picture just because of how bad the team is on that end of the floor. You know, I think the what you said about you can't pay all these guys. I mean, technically you can. It's just whether Tony Wrestler is willing to do so. They're already on the team. You can pay you can pay them whatever you want. You can max all five guys out if you want to. Right. But of course never it never happens because the, the the owners never want to pay that much. I mean that's right. that and would, also it doesn't work out for all those guys. It's not like do you think you're the, the best developing team of all time? You're developing six guys as your core pieces and they're all gonna work out. No, half of these guys are probably not gonna work out into becoming all stars. You have one. Right. right but you don't so of the guys who are not Trey, who you already know is an all star level player and should be for the next ten years or so. Yeah. The, the guys who you don't know about yet, the four other guys, plus, you know, whoever they draft this year, maybe two guys they draft this year, they've got another draft pick next year. Those, if you don't know which ones are going to hit and it's kind of a roll of the dice with each guy, then you might as well roll the dice as many times as you can yeah. and try to figure out, okay, which guys work for us. And by doing, you know, and I think they've got the, the opportunity over these next couple of years to do that. With the four guys who are not Trey, the four young guys who are not Trey, plus the two draft picks this year. So they've got six sort of rolls of, of the, the dice. Apple. And, you know, bites at the apple, rolls of the dice, whatever you want to call it. And then they can see at the end of that, okay, these are the two guys that we want to keep with Trey long term. Right. I agree with that that methodology. Um, but I, the problem with all of that is that means Lloyd Pierce is gone. He's not going to survive this. Like, it's just too well, much losing. And too many young guys, like, they're going to keep losing. They're going to keep being bad. It's just, it's not fair. I like Lloyd Pierce a lot, but this dude's getting fired. Like, he's not making it through this season. Like, there's just no way. This team's too bad. Yeah, but I mean, Wrestler this is... just seems like the owner who's not going to keep... There's going to be a fall guy, eventually. Like, that's why the Drummond stuff's starting. That's why it wouldn't be surprising if they trade for an impact um, veteran midseason. Part of that is obviously salary cap concerns going into the summer but i just i don't see how he survives this i mean it really does depend on what's the what is the the what are the internal expectations for the for this team we i mean we heard from schlank in a very rare way he came out and said or you know earlier in the season that his internal projections even when everybody was healthy was that this team was going to win like 30 31 games he knew going into the year that this was not going to work out very well. It's been right. worse than expected because of Colin's suspension, because Herter's sort of been in and out of the lineup, and he's just now sort of rounding into form as as he's you know gotten healthier. And of course, Trey is a little bit you know he's going to be unhappy with all the losing, but the team knew that this was going to be bad coming in. Even right. if even if Collins had not gotten suspended, even if everybody was playing, this team was not going to be good. Some people had convinced themselves that they were going to be good, but when the Hawks came out, Playoff sleeper, <laughs> right? But when Schlank came out and said, "We have our internal projections say thirty to thirty-one wins," if he he created a roster that had thirty-one wins in it, and then he went to went to, uh, to went to wrestler and wrestler signed off on, "Yes, we're going to trade for Evan Turner. Yes, we're going to trade for Chandler Parsons. Yes, we're going to trade Torian Prince for Alan Crabb and two first-round picks." Like these are the, the those are the things that they said. Yeah, okay, we're going to do this, and even though it's going to make us take a step back, we're still going to do this. So that's the part where even if they end up at twenty six wins because they lost out on a few wins when Collins was hurt, they lose or Collins was suspended, they lose out on a, on a, another win or two when when 
you know, Jabari Parker's hurt now, Kevin Herter did, you know, whatever. They end up at like 26, 27 wins, which is still a reasonable expectation for them given where they are right now, even without, you know, making a trade for Andre Drummond. I think it's like they, one of those things where it sounds good in theory, like before the season. Remember how like you watch it and you're like, oh, this is like 30 wins sounds whatever. And it sounds realistic and everything else. But then the owner actually watches it and watches just the turnout. And he watches how they're playing and he watches Trey getting frustrated and he watches just the blowouts. He like I, I think it's different once you finally see the video of what 26 wins looks like. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly true. And, you know, I would hope for their sake that that there's some sort of uh, that the that, that wrestler has that knows this in his mind and like can look at it logically and be like, OK, this sucks and this is awful. And we hate being, you know, being a 26 win team, but we've got a plan like there is a plan long term. Schlenk has a plan of how he's building. This year was a slight, you know, it was a step backwards because the veterans that he chose to sort of replace the outgoing veterans were not not good. I mean, Turner and Parsons just have have been bad, and that just is what it is. Like that that didn't work out. Like those guys replacing, you know, guys like Dwayne Deadman, Torian Prince, Kent Baysborg on the way out. That hasn't worked. Like that's been a uh, that was a bad move to sort of do that. But of course, their long term outlook doesn't include any of those guys anyway. So I don't think Schlenk can. I don't think wrestlers should be looking at this team like, oh, Schlenk has put us in this terrible position and now we're screwed long term because that's not the way it is. They've got they're going to get these veterans off the roster. They've got the five young guys that they can build around two draft picks, a ton of cap space in the next couple of years. You know, they've got a lot of, of great building blocks. It's just about weathering this storm in particular. And that's where. That's where people come, you know, come with the, the Lloyd Pierce thing because, you know, he is he's more of a short term thing. You know, you have Schlank as this the long term, you know, visionary behind this team. But Pierce, it can be, you know, the coach is always focused on short term stuff. And when the short term stuff is bad, you have, you know, you have rumors about his his job security. I mean, I think it would be a mistake to to fire him this year in particular. I think he's a great developmental guy for the young guys. You look at how. You look at how the, the steps that these guys have taken. You look at you know Trey, even you know the, the development of Trey Young, the the development of, of Kevin Herter as a secondary ball handler, the development of, of Cam Reddish defensively has has really impressed me. John Collins is defending now at a, at least a decent level, whereas he's he was awful his first couple of years in the league. Like I think there are real things that Pierce is doing that have been positives for them long term, but. I would be, I would, I think I would be not floored, but I would be pretty shocked if they, if they got rid of him after this season. Yeah, I am. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's just, you're putting a lot of faith in a billionaire operating uh, normally. That yeah. Is- which certainly has not been the case everywhere. And has certainly not been the case with wrestler in particular. He was a right. big proponent of the, the Trey young pick and the Luka Doncic trade. In the, in the first place, he was a big proponent of signing Dwight Howard back in the in the Budenholzer administration. So there have that been is something I would love to get true theorem out of Travis Link. I would love to know if it was his call or not to trade Luca for Trey, or if that was a wrestler thing. I'm from what I've heard and what sort of has been released about this. You know, the the small information that gets out about this stuff is that wrestler had a say in that, but that. 
Schlenk had Trey and Luca pretty much neck and neck at the top of the draft, and they just decided like we can get the value and we'll go ahead and and trade Luca for Trey Young. Really, I mean, when you think about where Trey was in one two with those two, he really wasn't like he he was wrong with the order and he was wrong with the tiering of it. They had those guys in the same tier as like future all-stars and didn't have Luca as like future all NBA top five MVP candidate kind of guy. And that's the difference. And that's, you know, that may be when we look back on this team in 10 years, when we look back on sort of what the Hawks have been over the last decade, you know, in, in 2030, we're probably going to point to that and be like, they were a second round and out playoff team. And if they had not made the, the Trey Luca swap, they might've won a championship. And that's kind of the difference that uh, that you have between those two guys yeah it's tough but um i don't know so if you were like if you're running the hawks and you're looking at their cap sheet for next summer um i'm not as just i'm uh, this is not my expertise it's just examining the cap and like how much they'll have to use on certain guys and um certain cap holds and things like that if they don't make a swing for the fences trade and move one of those Chandler Parsons, Alan Crabb contracts, and they just let them all expire then at the summer. What will they have to do to fill up the roster? What will they have to spend? Will they have to max out um, a JJ Redick? What will they have to do? I mean, they're going to have to spend a ton of money. Like that's just it. Like they've got, you know, they'd have 65 to 75 million to spend this summer. And it's going to be on guys who sort of fit, around the guys they already have because they're building long-term, you know, there isn't a superstar out there who, who really makes sense for them. You know, Drummond will opt out and he maybe sort of fits the bill. I mean, obviously like Anthony Davis would be great, but he's not going anywhere. You know, Otto Porter a year ago, I would have been like, yeah, he makes a lot of sense. Now he's hurt all the time. And like, I don't think he's, he makes a ton of sense. He's probably not going to opt out. You know, other than that, like the guys at the top of this free agent class, like maybe Gordon Hayward opts out, but I doubt it. Conley can opt out, but he also has, you know, $34 million that is just waiting for him. If he doesn't, Paul Millsap is going to be 35. Like that doesn't make a ton of sense. You know, DeMar DeRozan could opt out, but again, he's going to be like 31. That doesn't make a ton of sense. There's just not a lot of free agents who make sense with this team. Even the high end restricted guys like Brandon Ingram. Like he needs the ball in his hands in a way that doesn't totally work with Atlanta and doesn't totally work with Trey Young. Building around Trey means putting guys around him who are not not necessarily like those superstar level players who need the ball in their hands all the time to succeed. You want like high end play finishers, and that's where you know like a guy like Drummond a few years ago and, and sort of the reputation that Drummond has would make sense in in that sense because he would be a high-end play finisher. I don't know that that's Drummond's place in the league anymore. It certainly was a few years ago, but I don't think that that's the way it is now. So really, I mean, they're looking at spending a lot a lot of money on a lot of roster spots, and instead of going really big with a few of them and then really small with a few of them, I think it would make sense for them to go just sort of average across the board and get, so they've got the five guys who are locked in, Let's say they've got the, the the other two draft picks, and then they've got Bruno Fernando as well. So that's eight guys who are sort of on this roster for for next year, and we'll we'll see what happens with Jabari. He may be the ninth guy, he may not be, but let's call let's call it eight with Hunter, Young, Reddish, 
Collins, Herter, Fernando, and then the two draft picks. That's eight guys. They've got seven spots to fill and like say $70 million to do it. Instead of going two 30 million guys and then filling out the rest of it, I think it would make sense to just kind of average it out and find a lot of 15 to 20 million guys, get you know three of those guys rather than two big guys, get four of those guys even instead of two big guys, move some of these young guys into a bench role, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter into a bench role and try to find guys who fit around th- this team. And I think that would be that would be my path to, toward this. I think that's the path that makes sense given the free agency class. That's the path that makes sense given the the young guys that they have. Well, let's uh, let's transition to the Utah Jazz, a team that everyone has, it seems like everyone on basketball Twitter hasn't been able to figure out. And Conley being out doesn't help things, but then maybe it does help things because he hasn't been his typical Mike Conley self at age thirty two this season. And then you see Donovan Mitchell um, breaks out, and then they release Jeff Green, and um, they just. They're mixing and matching their rotations, and it seems like Quinn Snyder has finally figured out something um, that works. And he had a really good quote about like just progress is not always linear. Um, so they've had a couple of w- big win streaks this season, and we I think a lot of us thought that they would just win a lot of regular season games. They weren't real contenders, but they would be at that flirting with that number two, number three seed in the West. And right now, I think they're five. The playoffs started today, but they're still only a couple of games out, and they're in that rocket zone, clipper zone, all that kind of stuff. So there's still a path for them to sneak up to that Nuggets level, but we'll have to see. Um, what has changed with Utah on this seven-game win streak? What are what are you seeing that's different that is now clicking that wasn't clicking earlier? I mean, you you just think about the Jazz in general, and you immediately think, oh, their defense just must be stifling teams. That's what's that's what they've always sort of sustained themselves on throughout this this run with Rudy Gobert and Quinn Snyder. But really, I mean, I think it's been the offense, really, over these last six games that they've won. They've gotten one really great defensive performance in there against Detroit, but they've had four unbelievable offensive outputs in the last six games versus Portland in L.A. against the Clippers, in Orlando against the Magic, and in New Orleans uh, against the Pelicans. They've had, like, really strong offensive games. You know, 120 offensive ratings are better, I think, in all four of those games. You know, that's... That sort of sustainable offense, if it is something that they can sustain going forward, especially when you play a team like Los Angeles and you you know go in there and, and put up a really good offensive performance, that was really impressive. Orlando is a, is a good defensive team. They were they've been a good defensive team for the last few years. That that was an an, an impressive offensive output, you know. And I think it, you can get caught up in like oh they put a, you know, they put together you know a few games in a row where they really you know were making their shots. And that's really, when you dig into it, that's what's been happening. They're hitting a ton of their shots. They're hitting a bunch of their mid-range shots. They're hitting a bunch of their threes. Is that stuff that is going to sustain long-term? Is, is Donovan Mitchell, has, has Donovan Mitchell taken that leap to where he's one of the, the most lethal mid-range you know, pull-up shooters in the league? Maybe, but until it happens on a, on a larger scale, until it happens on a, over a larger sample, it's hard to it's hard to assume that that's going to be the case for, for Mitchell. I think he can certainly get there. I think this is sort of the, the, the way he's played over these last several games, the way he can, the way that he can put pressure on a defense at all three levels as a scorer, the way he's passing the ball. I think that's something that that's sort of where his ceiling is, but it's whether he can sustain at that ceiling for, for a longer stretch of time, that's going to be interesting over these next few months. And then as we get into the playoffs. I mean, that's the difference between the Jazz winning a title potentially one day and not. Yeah. Like, everything <laughs> revolves around him having that Kawhi bump. 
where you're saying he attacks people from all three zones, good defender, good passer, just t- an elite mid-range shooter where he's one of the 10 guys who can do that a bunch and it not be a, a, an extremely inefficient shot. Like That's the difference between the Jazz winning a title and, and not winning a title. Yeah, I mean, that's the difference between a lot of teams winning a title yeah. and not winning a title. Like That's how Kawhi Leonard was able to do what he did for Toronto last year. That was their difference. They moved from DeMar DeRozan, who was an inefficient mid-range shooter, to Kawhi Leonard, who was an efficient mid-range shooter, on top of the defensive stuff and on top of whatever else. But that difference offensively was what propelled them from being a second-round-and-out team to a title team. We should also mention, I think Jordan Clarkson's arrival has helped. Like, that yeah. bench was really bad. And I think... They couldn't just, put the ball in the basket. And, that's, no. and Clarkson has one skill, and that's it. <laughs> he can't do anything else. And he's right. been a little bit better this year. He was better th- in Cleveland before. And, I, and I'm going to let the samples sort of widen before I'm going to d- dive into his numbers and dive into his film in Utah. But in, in Cleveland, he was better as a passer. He was better at taking the right shots. He was taking more threes, taking more catch-and-shoot threes. He was better. He was becoming a more modern NBA player. But he's a scorer through and through. He gets buckets, and that's what he does. And that's, I mean, that's exactly what Utah needed on, on, on the second unit. Also getting Niang in there instead of Jeff Green. Pretty big. Yeah. 46% from three this year. Um, Ed Davis out of the rotation. Pull one out for my guy. But um, I don't know. That's like the biggest thing is like f- coaches when they figure out rotations that work. Like that. Yeah. Is, I worry about Niang. a lot of stuff. I worry about Niang long term. I just think that in the playoffs, is he going to be able to hold up defensively? And unless he's actually a 45% three-point shooter. But if he's actually maybe like a 36, 37% three-point shooter, I'm not sure that he can be your backup four in the playoffs. Um, you know, we'll see where, you know, where they end up with that if they make a make a move, you know, ahead of the trade deadline to to sort of shore up that spot. I think that would make some sense to try to get a defender in there. They already have, you know, some pretty decent offensive uh, option options at the four with Boyan Bogdanovich, Joe Ingles, guys like that. I think Niang. Fits, certainly O'Neal. offensively. Out, yeah, Royce O'Neal, but he's not quite big enough, I don't think, to be no. that sort of wing stopper that they still need. Uh, you know, I don't know where that guy comes from. I don't know where you know who they can move to to make that happen on this team. But I think that's that's something that I would worry about with Niang. That's something I would worry about with this team. Certainly, uh, come playoff time. Yeah, um, I think they have more moves to make, but at the same time. They figured stuff out, and I think that's good. Utah being good is, is fun, in my opinion. And also, people yeah. are reacting to Rudy Gobert, who has like a 125 offensive rating and a 101 defensive rating when he's on the floor for them this year. Yeah, he's I mean, really he's, good when he's, he's ridiculous. Floor. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. He's, you know, a underrated offensive play finisher. You know, I think that's something that we, we just talked about with Atlanta in terms of like you build around Trey Young by giving him high end play finishers. Rudy. Gobert is the highest end play finishers in the league. And, but people think because he doesn't create his own offense and because they don't throw the ball to him in the post that he's not a good offensive player. He plays his role to near perfection. And it's like, what else do you want from the guy? True. True. Um, this is not in my notes, but this is something I want to mention to you. I don't know how much of Marcus Morris have you watched this year? Not that much only because the Knicks are the Knicks. Yeah. And, you know, you just don't want to watch them unless you I absolutely mean, you have to want to watch Julius Randle brick uh, three pointers off the backboard. Not particularly. I was a big I was a I was a Randle guy. I liked him in, in L.A. I liked him in New Orleans. But this is sort of who he is as sort of he is the big man he's version. Of, big. He's yeah. And he's the big man version of Jordan Clarkson. You need yes. buckets. Sure. Here's Julius Randle. You need somebody to defend and play within the team. That is not Julius Randle. 
No. Um, Marcus Morris had the... So I watched the whole Clippers-Knicks game, and I was taking my notes and all that kind of stuff. The weirdest thing about watching Marcus Morris, because like, I was looking at his numbers, and it's like, he's shooting threes really well. He's doing a lot of stuff. Like He's still trying on defense. He's really in shape, and you, you look at him, and you're like... Because I was always a big Keith guy. Like He was the better of the twins. Free. Yeah, he's really not anymore not at all like morris Marcus, is like a legit he's he plays like Mello. he's really good yeah he's good if you watch that game it's like he watched a bunch of mellow in new york just videos and was like i can do that and also play defense yeah which is a good player that's that's a, that's a guy who speaking of the jazz if the jazz got marcus morris to play the four and you know to be a, a key part of this rotation they that would elevate Any their title hopes, go you know? get marcus morris he's yeah. good if you can, I mean, certainly matching now. salary is is a problem, and there are some qualms throughout the league about him just in general with what happened with San Antonio, where he he agreed to sign with San Antonio for like two years, sixteen million or something like that, and then they traded Davis Bertans to make that deal possible to give them the room to sign Marcus Morris, and then Morris just decided at the last minute, like, actually, I'd rather go to New York, and it so was they very kept Bertans if they didn't know that they were getting Marcus Morris. Say that again. Sorry. So they would have kept Bertans if they were not going to keep. Um, yes. Yeah, okay. They traded Bertans specifically because they knew they were getting Marcus Morris. It oh. was all it was all connected. And then Morris didn't come, and that was the end of it. And it was, but they had already traded Bertans. That trade could not be undone at that point, even though you know Morris had changed his mind but had verbally agreed. And from what we've heard in in after that, that was entirely Morris's decision. He was represented by Rich Paul at the time from from Clutch Sports. And Rich Paul, you know, has had some some stuff with Popovich in general over over the years. But this was not a Rich Paul thing. This was a Marcus Morris thing. It's uh, I think a few months later, Paul and Morris went their separate ways. So Morris has new representation now as he goes into free agency this summer. But I think that's when if you're going to bring in a guy like that, if you're going to trade for a guy like that, it's something to monitor that like this is, you know, this guy, you know, is. Just I don't know, you know, it's it, you don't want to make generalizations about a guy based on one one action, but that was a that was a big deal, and I think there are teams out there who would not want Marcus Morris in their organization, pretty much specifically because of that. That's fair, but I ultimately it's like, what are you doing for me now? And yeah, Morris, I mean, ultimately, I he like be he'd be very really good, good for a lot of teams right now. Yeah, and even if he walks in free agency, that's you know, if he helps you, you know, win another playoff series, which he definitely can do for a team that yeah, would like be Houston. worth it like just well a sure team that they couldn't do it but like that's the type of team that just needs that kind of wing body that can absorb a bunch of dirty work and just um play really i mean you've got a guy you count on. you've got a guy in morris who can hit shots hit catch and shoot threes defend yep. the three and the four maybe even defend some five if you want to play super small ball and if you throw him out there with like on a bench unit he can sort of create decent offense in a playoff series like what else do you really need from a guy making 15 million dollars like that's pretty perfect that's you know that's what you're looking for uh, you know a, a team like houston doesn't have the the trade ballast to to get him you know but he would make a lot of sense for them he would make a lot of sense for utah he would make a lot of sense for a lot of teams yeah um the wizards they're kind of fun there's a really good piece on bullets forever about them finding their identity and Scott Brooks preaching def- defense, but they're just not a defensive 
team. Um, but they have a weird collection of guys, Isaiah Thomas and um, Davis Burton's breaking out there and just shooting all the threes. And um, Thomas Bryant, I, I don't know where you're at with him. I'm a big Thomas Bryant guy, like him, like Mitchell Robinson, like guys like that. But uh, it's interesting because like they won big games in the last week against teams without Bradley Beal. They went like 500 with Bradley Beal. They're playing Bradley Beal a, a lot of minutes. There's just a lot of interesting things going on with the Wizards right now. They're, I feel vindicated in my preseason pick that if um, <laughs> there's just no way if uh, Bradley Beal's healthy, they're the worst team in basketball. But also, if he's not healthy, they're the worst team in basketball. So they're 12 and 24 right now. It's easy for them to slide into that zone. But um, I don't know. What do you make of the Washington Wizards? Because guess what? They're 30th in defensive rating and they're 6th. An offensive rating. I don't know how they're six, but they're six. They're fun. If you watch them, you're like, oh, this is cool. I like this. Yeah. I mean, they're six because they're 30th. That's sort of those are the, that's the thing. Mm. Like they, they built a team that is entirely offense. And so the fact that they're sixth is good because that means what they built is working, but they're, they have completely ignored the, the, the defensive side of things, which is fine. Like that is what it is for, for a young team or not a young team, but just for a team that's not going to be very good. If you had to pick one side or the other, you might as well go offense first because that's going to sell tickets. That's going to get people talking about it. If they were sixth in defense and 30th in offense, nobody would care. Like we would just be like, oh, that's kind of cool that they defend real hard, but they're not going to make the playoffs. So nobody cares about it. We're, we're seeing this in Chicago. The Chicago Bulls are like seventh in defense, but can't can't score to save their lives, really. And nobody cares everybody's like ah chicago whatever no nobody nobody's talking about them nobody thinks that they're interesting nobody thinks that they're fun washington is the reverse of that and everybody every they're they're everybody's favorite team right now because they're just they just put up so many points and and that's what they do and it's fun to watch that kind of thing so it's interesting to see that as a strategy for a team that sort of knew coming into the year that they weren't going anywhere Go all offense, sell a bunch of tickets, you know, make it on League Pass, you know, with people watching because you're so much fun because you're playing in these games that are 140 to 135. That's that can't, that's a fun way to to play basketball. It's a fun way for for the team to sell tickets, you know, all of that stuff. So I think that's kind of what they've been doing. But it's also that gives them, you know, I think that's it's a good way to sort of sort of from a uh, 10,000 foot view, that's sort of what they've done this summer or, you know, they, they did this past summer to build this team that is very offense focused, but then they also, I mean, they've gotten so much out of guys, you know, Troy Brown has really come on recently. You know, Jordan McRae was this, you know, was nobody. And now he's, you know, a, a big part of their team. You know, Isaiah Thomas was sort of in the wilderness and now he's a big part of this team. You know, Gary Payton, they signed because they needed a body. And now he's got a guaranteed contract for the rest of the year and is, is playing really well. Both of their two-way guys in Garrison Matthews and Anzej Pasechniks, I think. I'm not, I'm very yeah, bad at that one, but I think that's it. Pasechniks, I believe, is correct on the uh, on the last name. Anyway, both of those guys are playing well. They've got to find, they need to find roster spots for those guys. And like, how are they going to do that? Who are they going to cut to make that happen? So like, they've got a bunch of, interesting young guys who you know have some some upside going forward and they've just got some you know a guy like isaiah thomas who just is a veteran but is finding his his home again in in washington so i think you know certainly what they're doing is really fun whether it's you know long term this is not like a way that they're going to win a playoff series doing this but 
you know, it's super fun to watch for now. For now. Are you a Rui guy at all? No, not particularly. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't coming into the draft. I, I had him, I don't even at. know, like 15th. Like he might be a scoring wing type of guy. Like somebody who, like a Marcus Morris, who is, but is not a shooter and not a, like a high level defender. Like the guy who you can have come in off the bench and like, he can score eight points and four possessions, but he might also miss those four mid-range jumpers, and that's kind of what you got. I um, I don't know. Like my biggest concern, I guess, is like what is Bradley Beal playing for? But then it's also like these role players don't play as well without him being on the floor. Like Bradley Beal is like the sacrificial lamb in some instances, where it's like if he's not on the floor thirty-six minutes a night, like getting a bunch of attention and being the vocal point of the offense, like. Davis Bertans is in his open. Troy Brown isn't sure. doing what he's doing. Isaiah Thomas isn't able to navigate inside as much as like you need that attention. So from that sense, I think people are missing when it's like, oh, he's playing a bunch. Why is he playing a bunch? It's like, well, if you want these other guys to play better and play well and learn how to play winning basketball, you need superstars on the floor to learn from and play off of and make their lives easier because if they are role players, they need superstars to draw attention for them to succeed in their role. Um, what would you do? Because it seems like he's still in their long-term plans. John Wall will be back next year. He's in their long-term plans, it seems like. like What would you do if you're the, the Wizards? Would you just hang back because you know you're getting a lottery pick anyway? Or would you um, sniff around? Because it's really just been Davis who they've uh, been rumored to move on from. But it's like he's 27. He's arguably your second-best player. Just I would not even entertain trading Davis. Like, I, would, I would keep him around, too. I mean, I think it, it really comes down to what, Bertans is going to want in the summer, you know, because he's an unrestricted free agent. So if you're going to lose him for nothing and you can get like a middling first round pick, maybe even yeah. a low end first round pick for, for him, then you do that if you think he's going to leave. But you really got to talk to him now and be like, this is, you know, we're building around you and Beal and Wall. Wall will be back. You know what Bradley Beal is like. You know how much fun it is to play here. You know what Scott Brooks is like as a coach. You've sort of gotten a chance to be around us for the last few months. What do you think about re-signing long term? Is that something you would be interested in? If that is, then let's then then he's not available and and they'll work out a deal in the summer. But if he's like, you know, I'm not sure. Like I I really like to win. I think I would be more valuable on a winning team. I'd even take less to to win elsewhere. Stuff like that. That's when Washington should be turning around and and calling everybody in the league saying, hey, this guy's available give us a pick from 20 to 30 in this upcoming draft. And we'd be very happy with that. Are you at all surprised that the Grizzlies might make the playoffs this year? Yes. In terms of sort of in general, like you would have thought that the West was going to be stronger than this, but now that we're here and the bottom of the West is awful. It, I mean, they've got an electric player in John Morant. They've got a bunch of veterans who sort of fit around him really well, even though, they're getting like basically nothing out of multiple roster spots in Andre Iguodala, you know, and, and Josh Jackson. You know, that's twenty five million dollars that they're getting. Josh Jackson. Yeah, they're getting nothing out of twenty five million dollars, and they're still like in in and around the playoff hunt. You know, I don't I don't know that they're you know should be favored to make it at this point, but they're at least in it, and that's I mean that's that this is the Grizzlies are what it looks like when you put competent role players around a star an upcoming star point guard you know it reminds you of trey young in that sense in that 
you know, if they have better veterans, they have better veterans. They have Jay Crowder. They have John Jonas Valanciunas. They have Tyus Jones. They just they added way more players who could actually help them right now. They have guys who can help them win right now. And the Hawks, if they had, if if you had dropped, if you dropped Trey Young onto this team instead of John Morant, Memphis would be really good. Like it would be, this would be a, a similar thing. And so, you know, I think the Hawks. That's where long term like you can look at this hawks season and be like yeah they screwed up with the veterans but you know they'll have a chance to redo it next year and redo it the year after that like they're fine and so morant is sort of he's so electric and he's just he's so he reminds me of trey young last year in that way they're obviously different players but they're really both excelling as rookies in high usage roles he you know morant has all the ball handling and passing that we saw at the college level you know we weren't sure if that stuff was going to translate immediately from you know Murray State to the to the NBA, but it really has you know he's such a creative player with the ball in his hands. He he makes passes that just don't even like make sense of like why did you choose to do it that way? But the ball gets there and it's like whatever you know like as long as he's you know he still has you know some he's got significant strides to make as a, as a pull up shooter as a, as a three point shooter in general. Uh, you know he doesn't. For me, he doesn't hit the roll man as much as I would like him to in pick and roll. You know, I think there are like little passes over the top, little lobs that he could be a little bit better at. But like he's as a rookie, you know, Memphis has to just be thrilled with what they've gotten out of him. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been great. Um, is there anything we should check out from you from early bird rights this week, man? Uh, nothing necessarily right now in terms of articles. We've got I've got one big project that's coming on early bird rights. We've been working on it pretty much for like the last six months but it's finally we're finally we can see the finish line that's coming out in the in the next little while i'm not going to promise anything because i promised it would be ready for the start of the season and it wasn't i promised it would be ready by the time i left for europe in november and it wasn't so i'm not making any promises but it's coming that's a, a, a big project that will be uh released in the next few weeks hopefully but again i'm not going to put any any specific date on that uh article wise I mean, you can you can read my my work over at Early Bird Rights when uh, when trades happen, whenever the the mood strikes me to to write about something that's happening on the court, whatever. But uh, as we get into to trade season for real, as we as we move toward the deadline, Early Bird Rights is your your place for cap sheets and and analysis of everything that happens. Go check out Early Bird Rights. I use it all the time. It's a great great asset, and I uh, appreciate all the hard work that you do to keep it up. So, um, Jeff. Always a pleasure talking basketball with you, and I will talk to you soon. Appreciate you having me. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and... I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. 
Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.